Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. So here's what we're going to do today. If you don't know what you're stepping into, I'm just going to kind of give you an update. Uh, we have been uh, going on a journey uh, on our summer sermon series called TRL. Anybody watch TRL MTV Total Request Live? Some of you don't even want to admit it. I know you did. Um, and so if you're a 90s baby, you'll get it. Uh, and if you're not, well, then you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out sooner or later. Uh, but it's Total Request Live. The whole idea is that it puts the opportunity for the audience to make video requests. Um, and so we decided to do that this summer for our sermon series uh, to kind of allow you to decide. If a pastor could talk about any subject on a Sunday, what would you want him to talk about? And so we had several submissions through social media and through our website, and um, we had a lot of runners up. We couldn't do all of them. We actually pocketed some because they were so good that we thought we'd come back to it. But we came up with seven. And this morning, you're sitting, this is, I believe, our fourth installment of it. You can go back to our podcast um, at Inspire Churches, and uh, you can listen to the other three. <clears throat> but today, um, we're going to talk about uh, alcohol, marijuana, and their compatibility with the Christian faith. Uh, just a couple of quick uh, um, notes to make. Number one is we're going to spend most of our time uh, focusing on alcohol, um, and then we're going to use the principles that we extract from that uh, to discern what wisdom looks like when it comes to uh, marijuana. And so, um, so I hope that you're able to kind of follow along all the way through. And uh, here's what I do want to say. Um, the, uh, the Holy Spirit's leading is, uh, is, is gentle um, and is joyful. And what I mean by that is if you're hearing any part of this message today and it's starting to hit you, don't run from it or turn it off. It's a beautiful thing to be corrected by the Holy Spirit. Okay, a few of you get that. It is a, it, that no one likes to be corrected, but it is a beautiful thing to be corrected by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so will you just open your hearts and open your minds um, and we will um, move it forward. In my 30 years, because, uh, you know, I'm an OG now. In my 30 years in the church, uh, I've observed Christians interacting with alcohol in four different ways. I, I kind of created these four different categories uh, while being in the church. And you, many of you might agree, um, uh, four different ways that I've observed Christians interacting uh, with, with alcohol. And uh, the first way is what I would call prohibitionists or, or just simply the category of prohibition. Uh, what is that? That is this. It, uh, they believe that alcohol is evil. And because alcohol is evil, they also believe that drinking any alcohol of any kind is a sin. Okay. Uh, the second group um, I have encountered are abstainers or the category of abstinence, abstainers. And here's what they believe. They believe alcohol is not evil. Uh, they don't believe drinking is a sin. But out of love for weaker believers or out of a deep sense of personal conviction, they don't drink at all. Are you with me? You see the difference between the two there? Number three, um, I, I, the category is moderation. I don't know. What do you call them? Moderators? I'm not exactly sure what you... Um, moderates. moderates. There we go. Moderates. Uh, so we have prohibitionists, we have um, uh, abstainers and moderates, so the category of moderation. And here's, here's, what, here's what they would say. Alcohol is a gift from God. 
Drinking is not a sin. But they acknowledge that the gift can be abused. As a result, they allow their conscience and their circumstances to determine whether they are free to drink in that moment or in that time. Are you with me on that? And finally, number four, uh, as I've been in Christianity, I've, I've also seen uh, excess. Um, and uh, just simply put, for them, alcohol is a regular part of their lives. And so when they drink, they don't just drink, but they drink to fill something, uh, which often leads to a buzz or um, even drunkenness. And so uh, just to go over this category again, uh, prohibitionists, um, abstainers, moderates, and those that partake in excess of alcohol. Uh, so here's, here's the questions today. Uh, which of these are biblical, right? Which ones honor God and, and which ones, if any, are sinful? Um, because that would be really helpful to know as we are followers of Christ and we all want to submit ourselves under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen. So to help us, amen, to help us answer these questions, we're going to look to Romans chapter 14. Um, so if you've got to go over your Bibles, but before we do, I'm going to pray um, because we absolutely need prayer. And then uh, we're going to look to Romans chapter 14. Heavenly Father, every time I or, or Roger, another pastor, comes up here to preach your word, we absolutely need you. I don't want it to be my words or uh, my thoughts, but I simply want you, Holy Spirit, to work through me to speak to the hearts and the minds that are, that, that are in this room. And I recognize that just in the introduction, going over the four different categories, there are people in this room that may sit in each and every one of those categories. So I pray that every category of a person would be spoken to, and I pray that uh, we would embrace the correction of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit for your honor and your glory because it is our desire uh, to follow Christ. He is worthy. He is what he has saved us. He has forgiven us. He has adopted us. He has predestined us. He has given us an inheritance through the Holy Spirit. And so he is worthy to be followed. So I just pray that we would be uh, better disciples after today's discussion. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 14, uh, before I get into the chapter and read it, uh, here's what I want to say, a little context. Um, in the last, so Romans is 16 chapters in total, okay? So in the last four chapters of Romans, Paul, who's the author of the book, uh, focuses on practical application for Christian living, all right? And so here in chapter 14, Paul is going to address what he calls disputable matters. You can write that down. Disputable matters or quarrels of opinions occurring within the church. The church doesn't fight, right? Uh, some of you got there. Right? The church doesn't fight. Like, we're all happy and we agree on everything. Absolutely not. So Paul writes Romans 14 so he can address disputable matters or quarrels of opinions occurring within the church. Now, here's his goal. His goal in this chapter is to teach Christians, are you ready, how to apply wisdom and preserve unity when the Bible does not give a definitive answer on a particular subject. So when there's not, when you can't open the Bible, so there's some things you open the Bible, it's like, oh, there it is right there. There's no, like, argument. But there are some things that are not given a definitive answer. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul says, hey, here's what I want to teach you to do. I want you to use wisdom, apply wisdom, but I also want you to preserve unity. 
So Paul specifically in Romans 14 is addressing two camps within the church who are debating, quarreling, arguing whether it's right or wrong for Christians to partake in certain days, diets, and drinks. So with that being said, let's jump into this. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So let's just kind of put our seatbelts on and get ready. Chapter 14, and I'm going to read verse 1 all the way to 23. It's also going to be here on the screen. Um, and so let's dive into the Word of God together so that we can extract what um, the Spirit wants us to extract this morning. Uh, scripture reads like this, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ has died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is accepted to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Wow. That's a lot to unpack. Amen. Uh, but in general, here is what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says this, and I don't know if you've caught it, but he said, days, diets, and drinks are clean. Did you catch that? 
He makes it clear in verse 14 and again in verse 20. I don't know if we could show that up there again. Uh, he makes it clear in verse 14 and verse 20. He says, everything is indeed. Uh, so he says, I know. You guys are doing great. I'm the one that's off. You can go back to that slide. Sorry, that was totally on me. You guys are on it. He says, Paul says, you see that? I know and I'm persuading the Lord Jesus that what? Nothing is unclean in itself. Now, notice in the context, he's not saying, hey, everything's clean in the world. He's saying in regarding drinks, regarding diets, right, regarding food, and regarding days, he says, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean of itself, right? But if it's unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, then it's unclean, right? And then again, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. There it is. Everything is indeed what? Clean. And so just in general, Paul is saying, when it comes to diets and days and, and drinks, everything is clean. So to the specific question of alcohol, are you ready? Alcohol is not inherently evil, and drinking is not a sin. Psalm 104 verse 15 tells us that it's a gift from God and that wine gladdens the heart. Amos 9.14 describes drinking wine from your own vineyard as a sign of God's blessing. Jesus himself turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana in John 2. He was even accused by the Pharisees of being a drunkard. We know that he wasn't. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul actually advises Timothy to use a little wine medicinally. You'll find an entire collection of scriptures, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, discussing alcohol in positive terms. On the other hand, scripture is clear. And repeatedly warns against its abuses and addictive nature. Proverbs 20 verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Hosea chapter 4 verse 11 says, Beware of wine and new wine, which takes away the understanding. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, drunkards are listed as those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians 5, drunkenness is listed as a work of the flesh alongside of sexual immorality, idolatry, and sorcery. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, although you'll find some positive remarks, there are still more negative warnings against alcohol than there are for alcohol in Scripture. And we haven't even begun to contextualize how alcohol has affected our culture right now. And so I'm going to give you some sobering stats. You see what I did there? I'm going to give you some sobering stats. Alcohol affects our lives. A study published in JAMA Psychiatry found that alcoholism rose 49% in the first decade of the 2000s. One in eight U.S. adults now meet the criteria for alcohol disorder. It affects our deaths. An estimated 88,009 people die from alcohol-related causes annually, making alcohol the fourth leading preventable cause of death in the U.S. It affects our children. An estimated 623,000 adolescents ages 12 to 17 have alcohol use disorder. 
In 2015, 33.1% of 15 year olds reported that they had at least one drink in their lives. Approximately 1.3 million people ages 18 to 20 reported heavy alcohol use in the past month. And roughly 20% of college students meet the criteria for alcohol disorder. It doesn't just affect our lives, our deaths, or our children, but also is affecting our faith. In 2016, a poll taken by Barner Research found that within the church, 54% of people don't drink while 46% do. Now, here's what I want you to see. With the church just as divided as ever, and with the culture consuming more alcohol than ever, this generation needs a much better and more challenging question than just, is drinking a sin? Let me say that again. With the church just as divided as ever, and with the culture consuming more alcohol than ever, your kids, our kids, this generation, your generation needs a much better and more challenging question than just simply is drinking a sin. Now let's listen to the words of Paul again in chapter 14. I'm going to read verse 6 and then I'll read verse 15. It says this. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the other one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Now look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, and obviously he's referring to drinking too, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So here's the critical question that I absolutely need you to get today. The question is not about whether partaking or abstaining is right or wrong. But in your partaking or in your abstaining, are you honoring God and loving brother? Gosh, I wish you would get that, people. The question is not whether partaking or abstaining is right or wrong, sin or not a sin. The real question is, if I partake or if I abstain, what does it look like in my partaking and in my abstaining to honor God and love my brother? I think that's the question that we need to ask. So I want to answer that question. When it comes to drinking alcohol, what does that look like? Now, let's start with what it doesn't look like. Amen? Number one, first, honoring God and loving brother does not look like prohibition. To say that alcohol is evil and drinking is a sin is to say something God never said. That's why Paul commands, I don't know if you saw it, but that's why Paul commands those who choose not to drink. He says, to you... Don't what? Pass judgment on those who do. Did you see that? And if you're writing notes, I don't have time to go back there, but you can see that. Romans 14, verse 3. Romans 14, verse 4. Romans 14, verse 13. Romans 14, Romans 14 verse 22. Paul is constantly commanding and commending abstainers not to pass judgment on partakers. Are you with me? So let me ask you a question. What does it mean to judge? <laughs> That's a very misunderstood phrase. In fact, there are non-Christians that know that. Like, they act like they know the word. I'm like, you don't read the Bible at all, but you know, don't judge me, right? 
Uh, you never were, you, you've never read the, the word of God a day in your life. But don't judge. Don't judge me. <laughs> right? So what does it mean? And I know uh, Tupac, you know, only God can judge me, right? And there's some truth to that, actually. But there's also something else that I want to tell you. What does it mean? Are you ready? It doesn't mean that we can't tell somebody when they're wrong. It doesn't mean that we can't correct you when you're in blatant sin. In fact, that would be loving, my brother. Here's what it means, though. Here's what judging means. It means that we can't hold someone else to our own personal standards and private convictions. Are you with me there? Can I tell you what happens when we judge? When you say, well, I don't do this, therefore everyone should not do this, and it's not in Scripture, you're judging. And here's what happens. First, you become the lawgiver. In other words, God is no longer setting the standard. You are. Second, you know what else you do? You don't do this on purpose. I know you don't. You undermine the Spirit's leading because you're assuming control. And what you're doing is, it's, it's, for some of us, it's out of fear. And so where God maybe is not clear, we want to put some clarity on it and we want to give our law because we're afraid of what happens if somebody abuses. But when we put our law on something, what we do is we undermine the Holy Spirit's ability to speak to the individual when it comes to things and issues that are not black and white. You're, you're actually holding back someone's maturity. You guys with that? So number one, you become the lawgiver. And number two is you undermine the Spirit's leading by assuming control. Now, did you notice something? In both cases, you're assuming the position of God in the lives of an individual. Is that uncomfortable? Now listen, to those who know you are prone to err prohibitionists, to those in this room that know you are prone to err, hear me out. Just because someone could abuse their freedom in Christ does not mean that we should take that freedom away. Second, Honoring God and loving brother does not look like excess. Listen to Proverbs 23, 29 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do, no, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adler. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Some of the things you say when you're intoxicated is perverse. You will be like the one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like the one who lies on top of a mast, they struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake? I must have another drink. One thing we can all be clear on is this. Are you ready? Although the Bible doesn't condemn having a drink, it clearly condemns drinking too much. 
So, so that your freedom does not become your vice, here are three questions I advise every follower of Christ to ask themselves before they determine to drink. Three questions to ask themselves before they determine to drink. Number one, this is a question of wisdom. This is a question of wisdom. Here it is. Is it wise for me to drink? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are what? Lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. In other words, even though something might be permissible, it may not be smart to partake of it. Are you with me? How, do you have a history of addiction? Have you seen its destructive work in your family? Remember, where the Spirit leads you regarding alcohol may not be the same as where the Spirit leads somebody else. Is it wise for me to drink? Number two is the question of discipline. Actually, I feel like I need to go back. I just feel like the Lord's leading me here. The history of addiction is big. And not just in yourself, but in your family. Come from a home where there was addicts? And it, it could be alcohol, it could be several other things. I mean, are you really thinking through this and what, how it has affected you? Are you being wise? The next one, number two, is a question of discipline. How about this? How much is too much? Oh, this is the one right here. This is the one. And I follow a lot of you on Facebook and Instagram, so I know. I've been waiting two years to preach this right here. And I know it's funny, but it's true. It's true. You know, as a pastor, side note, I don't have a lot of time. And when I go on side notes, it goes a long time. But you know, as a pastor, you preach and you craft the message that God has given you. And then you're following your congregation. And you're like, oh, I should add that. It's like, no, I don't want to talk about that person. I want them to feel like, you know what I mean? So I'm not talking about you. I'm just saying in general, I feel like this is a, a general issue here. Right? Instead of asking, should I or shouldn't I, maybe you should ask, how much should I? Are you with me? Since there's a dividing line between drinking and drunkenness, are you able to define it? And are you able to stick to it? Just for a perspective, because y'all need it. The National Institute on, Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Notice I didn't say church, Jesus. This is a secular institute, ready? NIAA defines binge drinking as a pattern of drinking that brings blood alcohol levels to 0.08. This, you know, I hate to get religious about this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to put numbers on things because you're supposed to be led by the Spirit. But there are many of you that are not being led by the Spirit here. And that's actually a deeper issue, and we'll get to that. But I have to give you a perspective. I have to give you a perspective. So based on the NIAA, uh, alcohol abuse, drunkenness, intoxication typically occurs after four drinks for women and five drinks for men. And finally, to settle the argument once and for all, modern wine is much stronger than the wine in biblical times. And I've done a lot of research. And if you want to sit with me privately, we can go back and forth and joust. I'd be happy to. But let's, let's just put that to rest. In fact, modern wine, it's stronger than it was two decades ago. In fact, Jennifer Fraser writes in Scientific America, and she says, it's not your imagination. Wine really has gotten much boozier.
I'm glad you're laughing, but I hope you apply this. Number one, use wisdom. Number two, discipline. Number three is a question of submission. All right, alcohol isn't a behavior problem, it's a heart problem. To what, here's the question, are you ready? To what or to whom are you submitting to? Now in the first half of 1 Corinthians 6, 12, Paul says, everything may be lawful, but not everything is helpful. And then Paul, in the second half of that same verse, says this, all things are lawful for me. Are you ready? He says, but I will not be dominated by anything. You know what that word dominated means? It means to be mastered. And I say this in love. If you're a follower of Christ and you find yourself justifying your overconsumption, you don't just have an alcohol problem. You have a lordship problem. You're probably justifying it right now as I'm giving the data. There's a lordship problem. And I'm going to go off a little bit here. These same principles apply to marijuana. Let me just mention something. Marijuana is not directly mentioned in scripture. So it can be difficult when something, alcohol actually is, but there's a disputable matter when it comes to marijuana. It's not directly mentioned in scripture, right? Neither is nuclear bombs, right? And neither is abortion. Now, some may argue, and you may have heard of this, and some of you might be a marijuana apologist in this room, so I, I, I'm glad that you're here for this. Some may argue that Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, 29, right, that God gives us a freedom, right, to eat every plant yielding seed. Have you heard that one before? <laughs> to eat of it for food. It's not funny. It's, I mean, it's kind of, but there's real, this is really true. Right? So God says, he says, of every plant yielding seed, you may have it for food. But the problem is most people smoke it, right? They don't eat it. And although you could probably put it in a brownie, you're not necessarily like, mm, man, this is going to make it taste so much more, like so much. But you put sugar in a brownie for that. But you're probably putting marijuana in a brownie because it's not about the sense of taste, but it's what it's the feeling, right? The effect on the senses. Now, here's the second thing. Drunkenness is the state of being intoxicated by alcohol. And intoxication produces psychoactive effects, like altering your perception, right? Um, altering your mood, your consciousness, your behavior. And although scripture does not call out marijuana by name, what we can logically deduce is that since it's sinful to become intoxicated by alcohol, it's also sinful to become intoxicated or high by marijuana. You with me? Yeah. Now here's the key. For marijuana, this is key, a much lower dosage is needed to be intoxicated than alcohol. Where it takes four to five drinks to become drunk, it only takes three to four puffs to get high. And even greater than that, because we know that Jesus Christ the discerner of our hearts is not about behavior because sin is a heart issue before it's a behavior issue. And so before we, we step deeper and we look at the heart and not the behavior, what's really going on is the intention. What's the intention of your heart? If the intent of recreational marijuana use is to achieve 
some level of intoxication, then it's clearly a sinful motive in action. And I told myself if I had a little bit of time, I'd talk a little bit about medical marijuana. THC, CDC, THC is the, th the, 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 um, the substance inside of the marijuana that kind of creates the psychoactive kind of the high portion. And so there are uh, some uh, in the medical industry that would, would only actually go into the marijuana plant to take out the healing pro uh, the, those healing principles and would actually leave out the THC, which is the substance that caused someone to be intoxicated. And so the question becomes, uh, medical marijuana, um, certain oils and different things that you may use for joint pain, uh, where, where as Christians should we stand on that? And I gotta tell you that I have wavered on that a little bit. I've, I've, I've gone no, I've gone yes, I've gone no, I've gone yes. And, and again, this is an area where um, God doesn't have, doesn't say anything explicitly about. And it's not an area that I can extract through wisdom um, as easy as intoxication, whether it's in alcohol or intoxication, whether it's in recreational use. So medical marijuana is a little bit more of a difficult subject to teach, to broach. And so um, here's what I want to be careful in doing. Uh, I, if medical marijuana has is helpful for somebody, and there's no other alternative out there, um, and uh, we are we are aware that what you're using it for is for the purpose of medicine, right? Um, ultimately, only your heart and Christ can really know. Uh, but obviously, as a pastor, as a minister, and as people, we can discern when somebody is really going through pain. I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to step in the middle of that right now. But here's what I do here's what I do know: uh, uh, medical marijuana politically is really just a way to get recreational marijuana into the culture. And I do know that they've done studies now that if they can pass medical marijuana, then it takes probably about 10 to 12 years and they can bring on the ballot recreational marijuana. And by that time, uh, the, the, the particular area that is voted for yes on medical marijuana has already worked on their heart, softened their heart. And so they, they actually can bring in recreational marijuana. And most likely states, once they've done medical marijuana, it's only a matter of time before recreational marijuana is voted in as well. And for that reason, right now, I would vote no. And again, you know, is this about political? This is so much deeper than that. But for that reason alone, as your senior pastor, um, I, I can't, knowing that there are alternative medicines out there, um, I, I can't, the agenda of the marijuana industry is for it to be given to the masses. Right? And can I just say, well, let's continue. Let me just close this section with a bow here. Mind-altering substances like alcohol and marijuana can become ways, are you ready, to self-medicate. Are you guys with me? Mind-altering substances like alcohol and marijuana can be a, can be a way in which we self-medicate and escape, escapism, the pains of reality. If we're not led by the Spirit, we can allow these substances to become, are you ready, false messiahs and functional saviors in our lives. And whether we know it or not, we're looking to alcohol, we're looking to marijuana to deliver us or give us confidence. But what you're looking for can only be found in Christ. He's the only Savior that won't destroy your life. Are you with me? Are you with me? Finally, 
now that we know what it looks like, what it doesn't look like to honor God and love brother, what does it actually look like? And actually, I want to go back a little bit. Thank God for these props. Um, remember I said four to five drinks? Uh, four for an average-sized woman, five for an average-sized man. And if you're in here saying, well, I'm above average, you've got a problem, okay? Just, you know, I mean, if you're just justifying right now, you're not looking at your heart. You're really not. This is about the size right here. Four glasses of these. And about four or five drinks of these right here. It's alcohol, so this would be beer and wine here. Are you with me? Yeah. This part is not easy right here. This is the part that's not easy when there's actually a, vis a visual. You can feel it and sense it. Finally, now that we know what it doesn't look like to honor God and love brother, what does it look like? Oh, here it is. It looks like abstinence and it looks like moderation. Let me explain. Regarding abstinence, there are some in this room who will find that they are too susceptible to excess. You're just, you're just too susceptible to it. You just, you, just, you just can't seem to drink alcohol and not get intoxicated. And you'll discover that about yourself. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. The, the pastor doesn't got to up here and get on this pulpit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. Right? And, you'll, and, 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 and again, maybe it's not clear for you. Just look at Scripture. Drunkenness is a problem. If you get drunk, you have a problem. It's a sin. That's in Scripture. So there'll be some of you in here who'll start thinking, you know what, Pastor Phil, I might disagree with some things, but one area I do know is that when I do drink, I tend to get drunk. I tend to feel a buzz. I tend to drink more. I overconsume. It's in my family. It's been passed down to me. I know this. I'm in this room and I feel uncomfortable. I'm kind of angry. But as the Holy Spirit is speaking, it's the scriptures. And so there might be some of you in this room that feel this. So what do I do? You'll discover that a few drinks is just not enough. And the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate a pattern of sinful dependency in your life. So in wisdom, in wisdom, in wisdom, you'll choose to do something about it. You'll choose to not drink. And God will be pleased with that decision. And sometimes it's not easy. You need help. It's not, you don't just stop. Sometimes it can be addictive, destructive. And I don't stand up here as a man who doesn't deal with vices. I know what it's like. Many of you know my testimony. I've told you about issues of pornography. That's addictive. I've battled with that in my life. I'm not talking to you as somebody who's just high and mighty. I read the scriptures and it pierces my heart too. And above all else, my desire is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus because he's done it all for me. But it's not easy. I battled with this. You're going to battle. I get it. It doesn't feel good to be in a room. People are laughing. And, I, and, and we're making light, but overall, doesn't you understand what I'm saying? So I want you to know my heart. And so you'll choose because the Holy Spirit has illuminated. Not because Philip said it. Look, if you're doing it because I said it, it's not even worth it. The Holy Spirit has to be speaking to you. 
But the Holy Spirit is speaking, you'll, you'll say, all right, what, what, do I, what do I have to do? It may not be an easy road. Some people can, like that, some people it's a long process of counseling, going to AA meetings, finding Christian addiction programs. And we can help you with that. So in wisdom, you'll choose to abstain because you recognize in this area, I'm weak. Right? Then there are others in this room who live with an alcoholic. Right? You've seen its destructive nature on the family up close. You've been personally affected by it. And because of this, you choose not to drink. And guess what? God is pleased. God is pleased. Remember the words of Paul in chapter 14, verse 14. He says, if it's unclean for you, or if anyone thinks it's unclean, then what? It's unclean. And, and can I just say this? The one warning Paul gives to any abstainers is this. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who partakes. Now, I read this quote, and I thought it was so provocative that I needed to share it. This is something Pastor John Piper said. He said this, listen. I want to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And this I know without a shadow of a doubt. God hates legalism just as much as he hates alcoholism. He goes on to say, I've seen 10 million more people in hell because of legalism than because of alcoholism. Our abstinence should never be a stumbling block to our brothers. Amen? Now, next, regarding moderation. There are some in this room who drink wine with a meal as a beautiful part of their culture, right? For you, alcohol is not an occasion for abuse, but a time to celebrate with family. So you choose to drink and are careful to honor God in how much you drink. And Paul, uh, and God is pleased with that. Do you hear me? We say that again. There are some in this room who drink wine with a meal as a beautiful part of their culture. For them, alcohol is not an occasion for abuse, but a time to celebrate with family. So you choose to drink, and, but you're careful to honor God in how much you drink. And God is pleased with you. But to those who feel free in Christ to exercise this liberty, Paul says, I have three commands for you. In verse 3, he says this, Let not the one who eats, let not the one who partakes, despise the one who abstains. You hear that? So he says, to the abstainers, don't judge the partakers. Unless the partakers are over the top, right? Obviously, you can, as a loving brother or sister, come alongside somebody. In fact, I'm going to go on a rabbit trail here. I wish we had more friends that would tell their friends to stop. Too many Christian friends in here are enabling their friends. Right? Too many husbands and wives enabling one another instead of speaking up for the gospel. You know, your job is to love your husband and love your wife. And you know, loving doesn't look like just following through with whatever they want to do. Friends in this room, going out with your friends, you know, they're not going to go out with Pastor Phil and Jamila. But let's invite, but no, you know, and if they are out with Pastor Phil and Jamila, you're going to be on your best behavior. But when you're with your boys, you're with your homies, you're just chilling, you let your hair down, that's great, have a good time. But hold one another accountable. Can I just say, one of the greatest ministers in your life is not going to be your pastor, but your best friend. 
And if your best friends are telling you anything, it's maybe because you're very rude. And you're very angry. And I know this is hard. I get, I, I get it. And again, I, I know my vices. But I'm just, I'm just trying to let you know in love. Like, you want to find a pastor that doesn't love you, go find one. You want to find a pastor that doesn't want to preach the word of God or the truth, then go find one. There's a lot all over the Bay Area. But you came here today because you wanted to hear truth. That's why. It's so crazy to me. Wait, wait, hold on. It's so crazy to me because we do TRL in the summer. We have 100, almost 200 people in this room today. And usually in summers, we take a dip because everybody's on vacation. But you know why you're here? Because the topic, and you may not agree with it, but you want to hear what the word has to say. And I commend you for even being here. If you made it in here today and you're struggling, thank you for coming. What courage. What strength to sit in this room and feel like, ah, oh, I feel like I'm getting ripped, right? i got to get back out. You guys understand my heart. Please, I need you to know this. And we can talk personally about this. But this is for all of us, myself included. I lost my place. And we're almost now let not the one who eats, right? The one who partakes, despise the one who abstains. And what does it mean? Well, to the abstainer, it says don't judge. To the, to, to the one who partakes, he says don't despise. There's a difference. What does it mean to despise? Well, to despise is to look down on someone, right? Or regard their position as well. They're not theologically sound, right? They're silly and ignorant and immature in Christ. They're so uninformed. Now look, Paul says this may be an area in which they're weak in the faith. And when he says weak in the faith, it doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus anymore, they're less than you. It just says in this area, their participation, this freedom for some reason is it's difficult for them. But you're very weak in your faith too. And it may not be in the drinking area, but I can, I can probably point out some other areas, right? So nobody in this room, no one in this room has a right to look at each other and be like, well, you're weak here. Let me explain why. Well, you know what? You're weak here. And so in our weaknesses, how can we honor Christ and love one another? Are you with me? So Paul says, don't despise those who abstain. Number two, he says to the partakers in the room, do not destroy the one for who Christ died. And that's got to be the heaviest thing I read this whole week. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. Wow, such strong terms. Listen, if your drinking alcohol upsets another brother in Christ, or if you're drinking in front of a brother or sister who is struggling to recover from an addiction, then the law of love supersedes your freedom to abstain. Look, if you love wine more than you love your weaker brother, then you've denied the gospel. You've denied the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, Paul would say to you, number verse 22, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. So here it is. At Inspired Church, what's our official stance when it comes to alcohol? It's moderation and discretion. Have you ever met a brother or sister in Christ that you've known for a long time, but you didn't know that they boasting about it all the time. Listen, the goal of discretion is not to sit 
in a dark closet somewhere, right? And drink so that nobody can see you, right? The goal is to be mature, Christ-like, and led by love. Let me give you an example. There's a difference between hiding begrudgingly or being modest strategically. In fact, your maturity in Christ is seen in your consumption and in your boasting. Now, what's your motivation behind your discretion? That's such an important question to ask, right? Because I, I know there's some people, oh, yeah, I'm, I don't take a picture of me while I'm drinking because the church sees this. They're just going to talk all this trash, right? Like, oh, we better hide our alcohol because Pastor Phil just preached a sermon and, you know. We, let's not take a picture, right? Like, that's so begrudgingly. Like, your discretion has been destroyed, right? You, or, or listen to this difference. How about this? I love my church. I love my family in Christ. And I honestly do not want to cause anyone to stumble. Do you see the difference? Well, let's, you know, Pastor Phil talked about that. Let's hide it. You know what? He talked about it. And because I don't want to see brothers and sisters stumble, because I love them, then I'm not going to boast. You know, somebody who, who begrudgingly does these things, you want to know why you do that? It's because you've been wounded by religion. But I'm going to tell you something. Religiosity should not motivate your perspective. The gospel should. You see, when you've been wounded by legalism, when people have pointed at you and slammed the Bible on you and said things that God shouldn't say, you'll react in bitterness. But when you've been convinced by the gospel, you'll react in love, love, love. What does love look like? When I post this, what does love look like? When I go out with this, what does love look like? I want to conclude with this. You guys have been great. I'll make a couple of statements, and then I'll share just a personal thought. Are you ready? Only a gospel-centered church can truly honor God and love brother. If it's about anything else other than the gospel, this is going to be too difficult to accomplish. Only a gospel-centered church can honor God and love brother. Only a gospel-centered church can apply wisdom while preserving unity. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can call all of us to submit to God's revealed word. And when it comes to disputable matters, disagree without dividing. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. And only a disciple that is daily applying the gospel of Jesus Christ to their lives will ever have the ability to avoid offense, avoid judging, avoid despising, and preserve unity. This is who we are as a church, and these are the kind of disciples that we pray to build and inspire. And I get it. You may not like it. You could do two things. You can choose to submit to it while you're here at Inspire, or you can find a church that maybe just feels a little safer. And in love, I say this. I say this in love. I never want to hold you back from where your convictions or your conscience is taking you. But now you know. And I was kind of debating. I was actually talking to Jamila if I wanted to share this or not. And I'm going to share this and we're going to pray and finish. We're, we're done. But, um, you know, a lot of times, I, you know, as a, as a leader, an influencer, you like to leave your opinion out. 
so that people can hear the gospel and hear the scriptures and in that let the spirit lead you but i i am going to share uh, where i stand um uh, i want you to know you're not talking to someone who drinks alcohol uh, i do not drink alcohol my wife does not drink alcohol I was born and raised in a household that does not drink alcohol and i was born and raised in a, in a household where my parents knew <clears throat> what the effects were my mom knows what the effects were on her family and as a result we have been um, prohibitors at times but we've been abstainers so you're not talking to somebody who drinks alcohol you're not talking to my wife who don't drink alcohol so i want you to know that when i preach this message I want you to know how difficult it's been for me to continue to evolve because I am weaker in my faith in this area, but everything inside of me um, wants to put a law where there is no law so that we can protect you, but that's just not the gospel. But as I've grown through prayer and studying scripture, I've seen myself step out of prohibition and into absence, abstaining, because I believe that the Holy Spirit is a much better leader than I am. And I believe there's a liberty there. And there was a time where I used to be offended when somebody drank, but not anymore. Are you with me? And I just, I just need to share my personal feelings, or I am, my personal journey. And I want to pray with you. This is, not, this is not easy. And again, I, I want to commend I want to commend you for being here today. And I want to bless you. I want to bless you to hear the Holy Spirit, not me. So every head bowed. Let me say a prayer for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. First of all, God, you are a good God. You created us, you designed us, you uniquely fashioned and formed us. In the womb of our mothers, you knew the hair, the hair on our head, you, you, you have plans for us. You are such a good God. And we know that sin is such a destroyer of lives, that it, sin wants to ruin the goodness of God over our lives. Sin wants us to walk through a path of deception and destruction. But we're so thankful because Jesus, you've rescued us from sin. And though many of us are not perfect, in this room there are people who fall into the category of legalism, and that's a sin. And there are people who fall in the category of drunkenness, and that is a sin. No one in this room is perfect on either side of the pendulum, and everyone in between as well. And so we need somebody outside of ourselves to save us, deliver us, bring us back into right relationship with God. We need a Messiah that doesn't just give us a high for a moment, but we need a, a true Messiah, not a false Messiah. We don't need to medicate or, or numb the pain, but we need to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We need Jesus. And Jesus, you stepped down to rescue us. And we didn't want anything to do with you, but you ran after us and you chased us with your love and you walked the perfect life that I know I haven't walked. And then you died an innocent death and you took the wrath of sin upon me so that now if I would put my faith, trust and hope in you, I would be made righteous. I would be made clean even though I feel unclean. 
I want to be made pure even though I feel dirty. That's the gospel. And I want you to know what every head bowed and every eye closed. You're not justified by your works. You're not justified whether you're, your alcoholism, your drunkenness, or your, or your legalism, or your prohibition. That's not what justifies you. You are justified in Christ. In Christ alone. Through faith alone. In Him. His righteousness is clothed upon you. But because of that, what is He calling you to do? How is He calling you to submit under His lordship? So I pray right now that all of us in this room, no matter where we stand, would submit under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to His Word, because He is worthy of all the honor, glory, and praise. Jesus, You are worthy. And as long as this church is here, may we raise up pastors, leaders, and ministers that will love but not compromise the truth. Lord, I'm so thankful for all the people in here in this room, and we ask a blessing upon them for the rest of their week. And we ask these things in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Look, I love you. Thank you so much for coming here today. You're welcome back. Theology and Coffee on Thursday and, of course, next Sunday. We'd love to have you with us. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspired Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inspire Churches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.